This message is brought to you by the CD and Internet Ministry of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. While Pastor Matt is on vacation, Pastor Lou steps in to fill the pulpit today, talking about the Lord disciplining His children and how we should respond to that discipline. Here's Lou. About a week ago, all of us were reminded about the sick and broken world that we live in. We were reminded again. Uh, as you know, 12 people were murdered and scores were wounded in a completely senseless, horrific attack in a movie theater in Colorado. And those folks here in the Temecula, Murrieta Valley, haven't suffered uh, to this level of mayhem in our area. Thank the Lord that we haven't. Uh, we nonetheless hear daily reports of people senselessly killing their own family members and then killing themselves and all kinds of things like that. And our world is sick and broken on another level also. Physical sickness and suffering is a daily fact of life for us here. You listen to the news and, and daily you hear of the latest well-known celebrity who has fallen ill or has died or something like that. And as Christians, we're certainly not immune. In addition to our non-exempt status regarding the sufferings of this fallen world, the Scriptures also promise persecution for us who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus. And Christians in the United States have not really experienced that persecution in any sense of full measure, but guess what? Undoubtedly, it's going to come at some point. And in biblical times, Christians experience similar, if not worse, suffering. And as background, the letter to the Hebrews was written to a group of Hebrew Christians who were suffering as they were being persecuted for their faith. The writer of the Hebrews, speaking to these Christians, he said this, he said, But remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. These Hebrew Christians uh, had suffered as their Jewish friends had, had mocked and ridiculed them and then shunned them for putting their faith in Christ. And they suffered because governmental authorities confiscated their property and their possessions because of their faith in Christ. And as the suffering persisted over time, these Christians became very weary and they were ready to give up. They were tempted to quit following Jesus and to revert back to their former Jewish ways in order to escape the suffering that they were enduring. You can imagine what these suffering Christians must have been thinking at the time. You know, Lord, why is it that since I've come to faith in Christ, my suffering has increased so dramatically? God, I'm seeking to follow You and obey You. And why is life so much harder now? Why do You seem to be deaf to my cries for relief? And I'm sure that some of you here today have asked similar questions and maybe, maybe even recently. I know I certainly have asked these questions before. 
And if you've been in this place, or maybe you're living in this place now, the author of Hebrews has very helpful exhortations for both us as well as for his readers. These exhortations started back in Hebrews chapter 10 when he instructed his readers. He said, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And then building on that exhortation in Hebrews chapter 11, the author reviews the lies of a long list of Old Testament heroes of the faith that these people were familiar with. And he points out in this hall of faith, these great heroes all enduring suffering as they focused on the promised rewards of eternity. And the author of this letter encouraged his readers to look to these examples and endure like they did, looking to the reward. Now moving on to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 3, the authors reminded his readers to fix their gaze on Jesus, the ultimate example of endurance in the midst of suffering. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." Consider Him, think about Him, who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now with the endurance examples of the suffering Old Testament saints and the endurance example of Jesus fresh in front of their eyes, the author exhorted his readers to consider one more thing so that they might not grow weary and throw in the towel. He urged these discouraged Christians to understand that God had a purpose in allowing them to suffer. And that purpose is clearly and simply stated in the first part of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God's purpose for allowing these Christians to endure was discipline. Now, when we hear that word today, we usually think of punishment. And though this Greek word can mean punishment, in this passage, the word means something a little different. This Greek word is actually derived from the word which is for children, that's the, or child. That's the word that it's derived from. And in this context, the discipline is the training, correction, and education that good parents do for their children so that they will grow up to be godly, responsible young adults. And thus the author of Hebrews is exhorting his readers to view the suffering they were enduring as God using discipline to train them to be godly. And with all this in mind, the title of today's message is simply The Discipline of God. And our text today is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. 
Now, in this passage, the author continues his exhortation and instructs his readers regarding four major points about God's discipline. Turn to this passage if you haven't already in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you there. And read along with me. I will actually start, for context's sake, in verse 3. He says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and your striving is against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are approved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which we've all become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who are trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, the first point that the author of Hebrews makes to his readers is in verse 5. In this verse, he warns them of the dangers of God's discipline. Notice in this verse, the author kind of chastises his readers for forgetting an exhortation from the Old Testament, specifically in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, and it was in regards to discipline. And the word that he uses for completely forget, it means completely forget. You see, these Hebrew Christians had completely forgotten two key exhortations that were addressed to them in this passage of Scripture. The first exhortation they had forgotten is contained in the first line. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And this term, regard lightly, means to regard something as having little or no value. Now, to better understand this word, I'd like to share with you the reason why my wife will not let me clean out the garage. You see, I regard lightly the value of many of the items. Now, some of you are laughing because you understand. I regard lightly the value of many of the items stored in our garage. And as a result of this, if I were to clean the garage, I would throw out a lot of things, and I would probably throw out a lot of things that were valuable because I value them lightly. For this reason, my wife, very wisely, I might add, won't let me clean out our garage unsupervised. Sometimes I grumble and I complain and I question her wisdom in this, but ultimately I know she's right. She's right in not allowing me to clean out the garage unsupervised. In a similar way, the Hebrew Christians being addressed in this passage were regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. They weren't placing value on it like God intended. 
Some of them had undoubtedly become so focused on their suffering as they went through it that they had forgotten that God was seeking to train them through it. This exhortation to view suffering as discipline probably caught them by surprise because they were so focused on their suffering. Some of these Hebrew Christians were probably grumbling and complaining about their suffering as they begged God to remove it. They knew their suffering was divine discipline, but they were tired of it and they just wanted relief from it. Some probably questioned whether God really loved them as He allowed this suffering to persist in their lives. And all of these responses are forms of regarding God's discipline lightly. And I know that none of us are ever tempted to regard God's discipline lightly. Well, maybe not you, but I know I am. I know that I'm frequently tempted to regard God's discipline lightly as I kind of complain about having to endure the suffering. So in your notes, the first danger of regarding God's, dis- is of regarding God's discipline lightly, in other words, of little value. The evidences of this include grumbling, complaining, and doubting God's love. The second exhortation is at the end of verse 5, as the author exhorts his readers that they must not faint when the Lord reproves them. Now, the Greek word translated faint in this verse is the same word that's translated lose heart back in verse 3. You see that word? It's the same word there. And the concept here is of being so discouraged that you just simply give up. You become an inert blob. So the author of Hebrews is exhorting his readers to not become despondent and quit as a result of God's discipline. The Lord allows it to come their way. He is reminding them to keep on enduring and not give up. So in your notes, the second danger of God's discipline is fainting. In other words, growing discouraged and giving up under His discipline. Now, regarding this exhortation, I'm sure that some of you here are in the midst of circumstances that look very overwhelming. The waves of suffering are crashing ashore in what seems to be unending sets, and you're growing weary of the pounding that you're receiving, and you're just ready to give up. Maybe your old, easy way of life as a non-Christian, is starting to look more and more appealing. And you're tempted to go back. You know, if this is you, don't give up. Don't faint. You see, God is refining you through discipline so that He might reproduce a beautiful copy of His Son's character in you for the whole world to see. Now moving on, next let's look at the proofs of God's discipline in verses 6 through 8. And there are two proofs that the author of Hebrews wants to remind his readers of. The first proof is found in verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. Have you ever been in a restaurant desiring to have a nice quiet meal and had a family with unruly children settle in right over next to you? Ever had that happen? You know, the kids are running all over the place and 
They're screaming and yelling at one another and throwing food and ice cubes and all that kind of good stuff. And what are the parents doing? They're simply eating, eating away and it's like they don't even care. The parents don't want to put in the effort to discipline their kids. They're focused on pleasing themselves. And frankly, you wonder if they really even love their children at all. You know, unfortunately, our Heavenly Father is not like that. He does exactly the opposite. He does train us through discipline. And this discipline proves that He really loves us. And I don't know about you, but it takes the Lord a lot of time, effort, and patience to train me. He has to work hard at it. But He puts in the time and effort to discipline me. Why? Because He loves me. Notice that the author also indicates in verse 6 that the Lord scourges or punishes every child He receives. Now that word for receive has the idea behind it of receiving and cherishing. You see, the disciplinary punishment of the Lord is, is proof that you and I have been received by Him as cherished sons and daughters of His. And if we weren't His cherished children, then the Lord wouldn't bother disciplining us. So in your notes, the first proof is that, or the, is that God's discipline proves that He loves and cherishes us. Now the second proof is found in verses 7-8, through 8, where the author of Hebrews comments, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which we have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. A number of years back, the U.S. government redesigned our paper currency in an effort to make counterfeiting more difficult. And in these new bills, there are a number of subtle hard-to-duplicate features that help us distinguish real bills from fake ones. In every larger denomination bill, there is a plastic vertical strip embedded in the bill that says USA and then the denomination of the bill, in this case, $10. And on each bill, there's also a faint watermark image of the person appearing on the bill on the right side. And it's hard to see in this picture. In the case of this bill, the watermark image is of the person dead center there, Alexander Hamilton. Both these features can be seen when the bill is held up to the light and you look through it. And if the bill didn't have any of these features, it's counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. In a similar way, God's loving training in our life is the watermark that we are His real children. His discipline proves that we are genuinely His children and not counterfeits. So we've seen the dangers of God's discipline and we've seen the proofs of God's discipline. Now let's move on and look at the proper response to God's discipline found in verse 9. And in this verse, the author of Hebrews tells his readers, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? In this verse, the author is making an argument 
for properly responding to God's discipline based on our response to our heavenly parents, I mean our earthly parents. Good fathers discipline their children so that they might grow up to love and follow the Lord. That's what they do. And good children obey their parents with an attitude of respect. If we responded to our earthly parents that way, isn't it more appropriate that we should respond to our heavenly parents, our heavenly father in such a way with subjection? This is the argument that's being made here. Now the subjection that he is talking about here is not just just a willingness to endure the discipline that the father allows to come our way. There's also an attitude component involved in this also. James Dobson, the former head of Focus on the Family, used to tell the story of a young preteen who, in response to his parents' request for obedience, replied, I'll obey you on the outside, but I'm not obeying you on the inside. I read your kids do that. He didn't say it, but it came out that way. Now, this is not true submission. True biblical submission, the kind that verse 9 suggests, flows from an inward attitude of respect and trust of the Lord. This submission is rooted in an unshakable conviction about the mighty power of God and the vastness of His love. This kind of submission knows that it's the only sensible response to God's discipline because God is able to make all things work together for the good. And He loves us dearly. Rather than just kind of simply hunkering down and and weathering the storm, this kind of submission actively seeks to understand what the Lord is trying to teach. And when you and I are experiencing God's discipline, we need to ask Him to reveal what lessons He's trying to teach us. And we need to patiently wait for the Lord to reveal what those lessons are. And then we need to set our hearts to respond in obedience to what He's telling us to do. And all of this needs to be done with an attitude of gratefulness. You see, the proper response to God's discipline is willing and grateful subjection, trusting God as you endure suffering. This is the subjection of both actions and the heart rooted in an unshakable understanding of who God is. Now having looked at the dangers of God's discipline, the proofs of God's discipline and the proper response to God's discipline, in verses 9-11 through we'll look at the results of properly responding to God's discipline. Look with me at these verses. Furthermore, We had earthly fathers to discipline us. We respected them. Shall we not not much rather be subject to the Father and live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But the Lord disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, in this verse here, we see three results of properly responding to God's discipline. The first result is at the end of verse 9, where the author of Hebrews contends that the result 
of respectful subjection to the Lord's discipline is to live. And in this context, I believe the author is not talking about just simply heart beating and breathing, live. He's talking about abundant living. The kind where Jesus said in John 10.10, He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Real life, abundant life, comes as we respond with true submission to the Lord's discipline. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. And whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find his life. You see, properly responding to God's discipline leads to vibrant, abundant life. And if we spend our entire Christian life trying to dodge all the pain and the suffering that comes our way, we're going to miss it. You're going to miss it all the way. And as it's stated in verse 11, in the short term, enduring discipline is painful. It's not fun. But in the long term, God's discipline leads to abundant life. Now, the second result of responding properly to the Lord's discipline is found in verse 10. You see, God has a purpose for His discipline. He not only desires to give us abundant life, but even more than that, He disciplines us for our good to make us holy like He is. You see, God uses discipline like a tool in the hands of a sculptor. And as we respond to his, his discipline with willing and grateful hearts, he, seeking to understand what he is trying to accomplish and teach us, he skillfully chisels away the unsightly blemishes of our character. The Father's goal is to sculpt us into a beautiful likeness of his Son. And He won't stop the sculpting until this is completely accomplished. You see, properly responding to the Lord's discipline leads to progressively sharing in His holy character. And He will progressively transform us into His holy likeness until the day when we pass from this life and see Jesus face to face. And then our transformation and our joy will be made complete. May that day come soon. The third result of properly responding to the Lord's discipline is found in verse 11. The author of Hebrews sympathizes with his readers, acknowledging that enduring discipline is not easy. Going through discipline is a painful, and especially it's mentally painful. And while we're in the midst of it, discouragement sometimes happens. But the author also suggests that we take an action in the middle of that painful discipline. Notice what he says. Yet to those who are trained by it. You see, that's what the Lord desires us to do when we're discouraged in the midst of discipline. We must view and respond to God's discipline as training. The Greek word used here for training is gymnazo, from which we get our word gymnasium. 
And as you know, the, the Summer Olympic Games are now just getting started. And as usual, the American swimmers are expected to do very well, led by the great swimmer, American swimmer Michael Phelps, who I understand didn't do too well yesterday and today. But if you've ever seen the guy, uh, he's an absolute terror in the swimming pool. Uh, he is in, has incredible endurance, and he's insanely strong. But he didn't get this way by sitting on the couch, popping Twinkies and watching TV. He trained hard, I'll guarantee you that. He had a long-term goal, and he and his trainers very carefully developed a plan to get there, and it took quite a while. And the training was not only physical, it was mental. To compete in those games, it's a mental thing too. And as a result, Michael's won 14 gold medals in past Olympics, and hopefully he'll win a few more here this time around too. He probably will. In a similar way, God desires that we view His discipline as training. His goal for this training, as we have seen, is that we would share in His holiness. When God's discipline comes our way, we must remind ourselves that He is training us to be holy like He is. We We must embrace the discipline, not push it away. We must ask Him what specific aspects of our character He's trying to strengthen and refine. And as He reveals these aspects, we must exercise by studying and memorizing Scripture regarding these areas that He is trying to work in our lives. And most importantly, we need to ask Him for grace to strengthen us so that we may respond in obedience to what He's teaching us. Yes, if we allow God to train us through discipline, it will involve hard work. But look what the result is in the text. Yet to those who are trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see, properly responding to God's discipline leads to peace. As a result of Michael Phelps' rigorous training, he's gotten a lot of gold medals. As a result of God's rigorous training and our willing submission to it, we will get something far more valuable. A righteous and holy life that brings peace as its byproduct. And ironically, Peace is what the world is looking for. Personal peace and affluence. And they desperately seek after it. And yet, it's abundantly available to us, God's beloved children, as we properly respond to His discipline. So in summary, God allows suffering to come into our lives to train and correct and educate us. This is what discipline is. We must resist the temptation to run from discipline and grumble about it and complain and give up. Such discipline proves that we're His beloved children. And we must willingly and gratefully embrace His discipline. And as we do so, the Lord will transform us into His holy likeness. 
and will bring quiet joy into our lives. Today, if you're experiencing God's loving discipline, don't grow weary and give up. Keep enduring. Keep being trained by what God wants to teach you. In closing, I came across this quote that summarizes well what our response should be when God's discipline comes our way. Let the rains of disappointment come if they water the plants of spiritual grace. Let the winds of adversity blow if they serve to root more securely the trees that God has planted. I say let the sun of prosperity be eclipsed if it brings me closer to the true light of life. Welcome, sweet discipline. Discipline designed for my joy. Discipline designed to make me what God wants me to be. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for the discipline that You bring into our lives. We thank You that we understand that You only use discipline to train us because You love us and desire to make us fit for heaven and a beautiful bride for Your Son. And we thank You for Your Word which teaches us to respond properly to Your discipline. Give us grace to embrace it, to learn from it, and be transformed into the likeness of Your Son. We ask all this for His sake. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.